When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Garrett Wilson. Wow! What a catch! Touchdown, Jets! That kid's amazing. Gibson on the return. Near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets. And he's going to go! Jets win it! Touchdown, rookie Xavier Gibson. Game over. Allen has time. Intercepted. Sauce Gardner's got it. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. And he's sacked again by Quinn Williams. What a beast. Number 95 for the Jets. Listen. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeJet1. And it's time for part three of the New Year's Weekend Mailbag. So for that, we welcome in our friend who is the editor at JetNation.com, my good buddy, Glenn Naughton. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He says, Scott and Glenn, have either of you seen Robert Sala talking to an offensive player on the sideline and doing what appears to be giving instructions? I've yet to see it. He shakes plenty of hands after the team scores, but other than that, does he communicate to any players? It's funny you bring this up because Chris Mano, who of course used to play for the Kansas City Chiefs very briefly, start Hofstra. He's a guy that's working with high-level athletes now. He talked about this. He said, when you see a guy like DeVito come off the field, now obviously he got benched, but you get the point. He would sit down and you would see Dable going over there, talking to him. I don't know what he was saying, but clearly he was giving him some coaching. When Zach Wilson would come off the field, he'd sit down on the bench and talk to nobody, including Robert Sala. So I think this is another area where the Jets coaching staff just doesn't seem to have its act together. I'm not saying that Robert Sala is completely disconnected from the offense, although that's what it appears to be on the surface. But you're sure not seeing anything out there that would indicate that he has any real involvement in what's going on out there beyond the defensive side of the ball. And that's very troubling. And it's something that the Jets really have to take a look at. I wish it's something that they would have factored into their evaluation at the end of the season. But of course, Woody Johnson decided to announce a couple of weeks before the season was over that Salah was definitely going to be back in 2024. So it's all moot point. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what, going back to the Mark Sanchez days, Scott, I feel like if I had a dollar for every time I have to watch a young, inexperienced quarterback either sit on the bench with a baseball cap on or stand at the sidelines staring at the Jumbotron and nobody talking to them. And I'm always I'm always like, what are there not coaches on the staff? Like it and it drives me nuts for that reason. You mentioned I see it with other teams all the time. You know, and it's it's no coincidence that every time you would see a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady head toward the sideline, they'd grab a tablet, they'd have a coach's ear, and they'd be talking through stuff. And it's it's a hundred percent right. You know, as we're seeing right now with Zach Wilson, I've seen it a million times. I saw I remember I don't know why it sticks out so much, but that I think it was the game when Santonio Holmes and Wayne Hunter got into it. You go back and watch that game, and um, was that a Geno game or was that a, a Sanchez game? There was a Sanchez game in Miami where they just keep showing him on the sidelines in his baseball cap, and not one time that I see a coach approach him. And I feel like it's the same way now, especially now you've got Hackett up in the booth, but you've got to have, you've got to have someone on the staff giving him some guidance. And it's a decade now of Jets young quarterbacks just kind of being left to find their own way. Next question comes in from Michael Pallas. He asks, other than Rodgers wanting them to stay, how can Woody Johnson justify keeping Douglas and Salah? Well, for starters, the fact that Rodgers wants them to stay is all that he really needs. But ultimately, you know what the justification is going to be. The justification is going to be they built this whole thing around Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Therefore, they get a mulligan, and let's see what they can do with Aaron Rodgers in 2024. That's going to be the justification. We don't have to like it, but that is what the Jets organization is basically telling you. Yeah, that's all it comes down to. You know, so much of this team right now just re- just revolves around what Rodgers wants. Um, if if I were to say get let go of anyone, I would say Salah before Douglas, and let's see if we get some coaches in here who can get the most out of these players. But it's all moot because Rodgers apparently likes them, so they're not going anywhere. Next question comes in from Hair Club Prez. He asks, more likely in the next 15 years, one of Nathaniel Hackett's sons is the Jets' offensive coordinator and breaks his dad's scoring ineptitude records, or the Jets trade two first-rounders for Jordan Love. (laughs) Talk about history repeating itself in either scenario. I don't know that Jordan Love is ever going to be good enough to get two first-rounders out of the Jets. I think he's going to be a good quarterback, but I don't think he's going to be that good. However... I could never rule out the Jets hiring another Hackett because I couldn't have imagined them hiring one after Paul Hackett was such a mess here, and yet Nathaniel Hackett wound up here. If Nathaniel Hackett has a son and he winds up as a football coach, it's a scary thing to think about, but it could happen. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I could take another Hackett. Um, really, neither scenario. but Both are nightmare scenarios, but uh, I guess if we're talking about the history of the ineptitude of the Jets, the... Uh, Bringing in another bad offensive coordinator would be the one that they would choose. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Mike D. He asks, given the number of needs the Jets have to fill, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is trading down in the first round and picking up additional picks the best option? I think it absolutely is. Now, this is why you want the Jets to have the highest pick possible, because the higher they are, 
the more picks they could command in a trade down and the more lucrative that pick becomes because if there's a quarterback involved, then it means that the value of that slot goes through the roof. So for example, let's say, and this is just a thought exercise, that the first three players off the board are Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Marvin Harrison Jr. in whatever order, right? If the Jets somehow could get to five, because I think getting to four is pretty much a pipe dream at this point. If somebody else goes at number four, and I'm trying to think of who that could be, maybe one of the offensive tackles. If Jaden Daniels is sitting there at number five, and there's a couple of teams that want to move up a little bit to get him, say Atlanta, maybe the Raiders, one of those types of teams, and you can leverage a couple of different teams against each other and get a good trade down, pick up, say, an extra second and a fourth to move down a couple of spots or something, that would be the move ultimately. Because I think in this draft, the Jets are helped out by the fact that there are a lot of really talented offensive tackles and a lot of really talented wide receivers. So you can move down a little bit, still get a really good player in the first round, and then help yourself on the back end. What I've tended to do in my mock drafts, and obviously doesn't mean anything in terms of the real draft, this is just what I've been doing, is right now the Jets, if the season were to end as we speak, would be the eighth overall pick in the draft. I've been trying to trade down into the low teens, pick up a second rounder and maybe a late rounder, and then I would use that first rounder on either the best tackle available or the best passing game weapon available. And then what I do is I take the second round pick. I either use it on a tackle or a wide receiver, depending on what I did in the first round. And I take my third round pick and the other extra pick that I got in the trade down and use it to move up into the second round and get another player that would be an impact player on the offense. So I'll just give you an example. Let's say the Jets trade down from number eight to number 12 or 13, pick up a two and maybe a four to do it or a two and a five or something along those lines. And they go and get Talise Fuaga, the offensive tackle from Oregon State. Or if Brock Bowers slides a couple spots, they get Brock Bowers. Then you figure out what you want to do in the second round. You have that second round pick, but you also now have the extra pick to move back into the second round. So you look at the offensive linemen that you think are going to be available and you look at the offensive weapons that you think are going to be available in the passing game and you figure it out from there. But I think the optimal scenario here is move back a little bit, get yourself that extra second round pick and get another pick later on that you can use to help move up. If you can grab three guys in the first two rounds that you think can make an impact year one, preferably two on the offensive line and one that's a passing game weapon, then I think that's the best you're going to be able to do, especially in a draft that I think is pretty deep, both in offensive line talent and pass catching talent. And then obviously, if you get a good pass catcher in free agency, because I think that's more likely than getting a good offensive lineman, you can really start to put the pieces together. But yeah, to answer your question, I think unless something unexpected happens, like Marvin Harrison Jr. drops to you at whatever number you're at, it would make a lot of sense to move out of that spot and try to pick up extra picks and get more than one guy that can help you right away. Yeah, I think that the the Jets, it's the optimal position or the optimal choice for the Jets is to trade down. It's 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 the same story it is every year, right? Like you need that that uh, that other team to to have interest in the pick you're holding. Which the Jets, as we've discussed, Scott, they kind of that win against Washington kind of killed any chance of them being in the top three or four which is going to be that sweet spot. That's going to be where the two quarterbacks and Harrison are and possibly 
a fourth player like Daniels. And that's, you know, five could be the very start of no man's land where there will be good players, but there isn't that elite quarterback or elite prospect the teams were only willing to trade up for even as much as I love Brock Bowers. And I feel like he's an elite prospect who's going to be a guy who, who can do things that very few players at his position can do. Um, I don't see a team trading up a bunch of picks, but the, the, the problem the Jets will have, you know, kind of similar to what we were saying with the Aaron Rodgers situation um, is that, do the Jets have to trade down? I mean, technically they don't, but they really need picks and they don't have a lot. So they might be in a position where they move down a little bit and they only pick up one extra pick, um, which ideally you'd like to add a couple, but they may not be in that spot. They may have to take the best deal that's offered. Um, and again, will a deal even be offered? But once it is, the Jets aren't going to have a lot of leverage because teams know that this is Joe Douglas and Robert Sala's last shot to win. And if they're, if they're going to want to win, they're going to need more than one piece. Um, and you know, we just talked obviously about these, the, the day three guys. It looks like the Jets are probably going to get three or four comp picks. You know, they'll probably be round six or seven, but if you can find one starter out of those three or four or one regular contributor that goes a long way in your evaluation, but trading down is absolutely the way to go, but takes two to tango. Is there going to be a partner waiting to, to offer you a deal that you like? They can find a way to get a second rounder and a trade down, even if they can't get another pick. They could always use one of their two fourth rounders to move up from the third to the second if there's an impact offensive lineman or pass catcher that they like in that spot. So it's something to keep in mind. And like you said, Glenn, it does take two to tango, so there's no guarantees. But that's why the higher up you get, the better the chance is that there's going to be a player that some team really, really wants and you'll be able to leverage that. So hopefully the Jets get the highest pick possible. Next question comes in from QB Nunn. He asked, does Woody Johnson pull a 2008 and reverse his decision of bringing back Robert Sala, just like he did with the man genius in favor of Rex? The difference here is that there was no public proclamation that Eric Mangini was going to be back. It was just assumed. And what happened was the season ended so poorly Mangini was so aloof from management, and when Woody Johnson talked to the players, he heard so many negative things that ultimately it was the perfect storm, and he decided to make a change. I don't know that the players are going to be that negative on Robert Sala, who a lot of them do like. I also don't think that Robert Sala is aloof. I'm sure he's semi-buddy-buddy with the higher-ups. He has a much more friendly and outgoing personality than Mangini ever did. He strikes me as a guy that knows how to manage the higher-ups better than a guy like Mangini did. And then the other part of this, of course, is the public proclamation. That is huge. Because if Woody Johnson had made the public proclamation about Mangini, that might have put a lot more pressure on him not to make a change. By not doing so, it left it open for him. And that's sort of what the case is here and why I said they shouldn't have done it. Because even if you're 99.9% convinced you're bringing Robert Sella back, why lock yourself in like that? You should give yourself the freedom to change your mind by the end of the season without having egg on your face. And they took that away from themselves for no reason. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, as is the case with so many of these questions, right? The answer is Aaron Rodgers. And <laughs> the reason why they're they're not going to do this, what they did with Mangini is because Rodgers wants these guys back. He said it publicly. They've said publicly they're bringing them back. So that just kind of, I think, removes any possibility that they move on despite having said they wouldn't. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He asks, why is it that the Jets said they're trying to build a culture with all these guys that love football, and yet when you look at the Jets, half the time it looks like players have quit on the team. They lose a lot of weeks by double digits. 
How is this in any way what the Jets claim they were trying to build? It is sort of interesting because, Glenn, and I'm not trying to fault these guys for it because things happen, but you know Sal and Douglas have said a million times, they want guys that love football. Football is their number one priority and all that. And then you see things like Makai Becton giving an interview where he says that Aaron Rodgers revived his love of football. You see Corey Davis walking away from the sport at the age of 27. And there are other examples of guys that just seem to not really care anymore. And yeah, I understand the general philosophy of getting guys that love football and that's their number one priority. Yeah, you don't want any headaches in the locker room. Yeah, you don't want any problem children. But if there's a guy who just sees football as his profession, he may really enjoy it, but he's got other outside interests, but he's really, really good at it. And he's a good teammate and he does what he's told. I don't see why that should be any kind of problem. It's very strange that they're so vocal about how they want all these guys that love football so much. When in the end, just go out there and do your job at a high level. Don't complain and be a good teammate. And that's all you should need. Stay healthy and all of that. Look, we all know the story with Curtis Martin. Glenn, he said at his Hall of Fame induction that you could count on one hand the number of times that he's watched a football game that he wasn't in. He doesn't like football. He doesn't like it at all. But he just happened to be great at it. He worked his butt off. He was very coachable. And he ended up, of course, being one of the best running backs of all time. And I think that's what should really matter. And that really is much more what you would want in building a positive culture. Yeah, I think stuff like that. I think, the you know, finding guys who love football, a lot of that, it's just such coach speak, GM speak. It sounds good. Fans love the sound of it. Yeah, we're bringing in the right guys. We're bringing in guys like... It's it's like I I always want when whenever coaches say and and this isn't a knock on Robert Sala because every coach says it but when whenever he says stuff like that oh you know why'd you add this guy oh he loves football I'm I'm dying for a member of the press to raise their hand and go how many guys on the team don't you just told us you signed this player because he loves football you make it sound like that's a unique thing like I would hope you know the overwhelming majority of the guys on the roster love football yeah you're gonna have a couple of guys who do it for the check and all that. But it's, I don't know. It's just coach speak. It doesn't resonate with me when they talk about, we're going to build the culture by adding guys who love, who love ball and all this. It's listen, go find great football players. Of course you want guys that are more committed than guys who are not. But I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that what they're saying makes sense, but I have no doubt they wouldn't bring a guy in who didn't love football. If they thought he could give them a couple of good years and help them win. Next question comes in from Peter LaFontaine. asks. Would Brock Bowers be a good pick for the Jets? Also, what is going on with Mekhi Becton? So let's start with the first part of this. As far as Brock Bowers, it's interesting, Glenn, because what are the two things that the Jets need more than anything? An offensive playmaker in the passing game and somebody who can be an effective blocker, right? Well, guess what Brock Bowers is? A little of column A and a little of column B. Now, he's not a wide receiver and he's not an offensive lineman, but in a way he sort of fills a little bit of both of those roles, right? because he's a real difference maker in the passing game, and he's somebody that's an exceptional blocker for a tight end. I think he's a better prospect than Kyle Pitts was for that exact reason. And Brian Bassett, who, of course, is the Jets' godfather of podcasting, who does There's Always Next Year here on the Play Like a Jet Network, said it very well when he talked about tight ends. He said, if there's one thing you want to see in terms of whether or not a tight end has elite potential, it's can he get yak? Is he a top-notch yak guy? Because all the best tight ends seem to be top-notch yak guys. And guess what? Brock Bowers is. So I think that Brock Bowers would be a really good pick. However, if you're going to do that, I think it would probably be if you were to trade down a little bit, pick up that extra pick 
to try and chase two offensive linemen in the second round and take Bowers in the first round. Like, let's say the Jets finish with the sixth pick and they're able to move down to 10, pick up an extra second, and then take Bowers at number 10, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. You heard Walter Cherpinski of WalterFootball.com on the show. He says he thinks that Bowers could very well go in the back part of the top 10 or the top part of the teens. So somewhere in that like 8 to 14 range, if the Jets could trade down a little bit, get Bowers, and then get themselves two offensive linemen in the second round, that would be ideal. And imagine having Bowers, and let's say, and I'm just throwing this out there, somebody like Jordan Morgan and Patrick Paul that you add on the offensive line. You put Bowers out there as a blocker, as a tight end. You do some two tight end sets with him and with Tyler Conklin. You've got Jeremy Ruckert who can play in there at fullback. You've got Morgan and Patrick Paul, or you've got Morgan and, say, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma, or you've got Morgan and you've got Graham Barton from Duke. Whatever combination you want, Cooper Beebe from Kansas State, I know we've talked about him, Glenn. And now all of a sudden you're starting to fix things. Things are starting to look a lot better and a lot rosier. So I think there definitely is a scenario where Brock Bowers could be a good pick. As far as Mekhi Becton, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about that, Glenn, because you did some interesting work on this. But I will say, I think a lot of it is he seems to have been playing hurt the last couple of weeks. His performance has notably dipped the last month. His lateral movement, his agility is just not there. I think the injuries have taken a toll on him. I don't expect him back. I thought it was a long shot that he'd be back anyway, just because it seemed like both sides wanted a clean break. But the way he's played the last few weeks, it's just been bad. Had a really promising rookie year and started off okay, but it has just been all downhill the last month. Like I said, maybe it's just the injuries in general that have taken a toll on him, but He just isn't moving effectively, and all these speed rushers are just moving right by him. Glenn, I think you said before we started recording that it looks like a guy who's just letting a bull run by him, who just goes, Olay. It's one of those bullfighters. That's essentially what Makai Becton has looked like against Miles Garrett. He just basically was sticking his hand out and hoping that Miles Garrett wouldn't get past him. I think that with Becton, it's obvious that there is something going on. And listen, I know he had a lot of detractors and a lot of people who were rooting against him and wanted him to fail. You can't have it both ways, right? Everyone who hates Becton was saying before the season that, oh, well, the only reason this guy lost any weight is because he's trying to cash in and it's time for a new contract. Um, and now those same people are saying, oh, look, he's mailing it in. He's not even trying. Well, which one is it? Like, does he want the new contract or not? Because mailing it, is, mailing it in isn't going to get you there. But if you look at Makai Becton, over from the time he came into the league up until the last month, it's night and day, right? As a rookie, he allowed a sack every 58 pass plays. And pardon me if, if the math wasn't 100% right on this. I went to the PFF. Um, I went, I looked at how many pass pro, sorry, how, how many pass protection reps and how many sacks allowed. One every 58 as a rookie. Then this season, obviously with two years off, weeks one through 13, he allowed one sack per every 70 pass plays. And over the last four weeks, weeks 14, 15, 16, 17, he's allowing one sack every 32 pass plays. And you absolutely, when you go to the coach's film and look, there are reps where he the ball is snapped and he just sticks an arm out, like hoping to, hoping to, that, that somebody, you know, that he wraps somebody up by accident. Um, you know, maybe get, get a clamp on somebody, but it's just been the effort has looked terrible. But because I don't, I don't disagree that he would like a new contract, a big contract somewhere. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I, I think he's hurting in some way. And, you know, and maybe, maybe it's the fact that this is his first full season 
really ever in in the pros. He missed a few games as a rookie, and then he misses two full seasons. And maybe near the end of this year, the wear and tear is is getting to him, and he just doesn't have anything left in the tank. You know, that's a possibility. So I don't think he's not trying. I just think there's an injury or a, a fatigue issue. And I think that it's, I mean, it's so apparent. Like I said, I get that people want to dance around, you know, the people who were right that said he was going to have a bad year. They want to enjoy being right. But if you just want to be like fair and objective and look at his performance from weeks one through 11 till now, completely different player. There's clearly something going on. As far as Brock Bowers goes, he's a guy, you know, I've said a few times that if I'm the Jets, I'm trading down. If I'm at the top of round one, unless unless Bowers or Marvin Harrison Jr. are there, they're my only two exceptions. Bowers, to me, as you said, has got better prospect than Pitts, does more than Pitts. He he makes some incredible plays on the outside as a wide receiver. Fantastic inline blocker. You mentioned his ability to block. He really is um, like a like an extra offensive lineman. You have him, when you have him out there on the field. There's really nothing that they asked him to do at Georgia that he didn't do and do at a very high level. And you know, you mentioned his ability to pick up yards after the catch. I mean, he's a guy. He's he's literally done everything. They've used him as a running back. They've used him on end the rounds. They've used him in line. They've used him out wide. They've used him in the slot. They've used him as a lead blocker, as a fullback, as a as a blocker in line uh, at tight end. And he's he has thrived, excelled at every single one of those things. People who say things like, "Oh, you can't draft a tight end," it, like if you're not going to take the time to watch the players, don't comment on whether or not they should be drafted. Because I don't know how you watch Brock Bowers and think, oh, I don't want that guy on my team. Absolute stud. Somebody's going to get a monster. If it's the Jets, it'd be absolutely fantastic. Trade down might happen. But Bowers is, is to me, the second guy in this class that I would take. And that's only behind Marvin Harrison Jr. That's going to wrap up part three of the New Year's Weekend Mailbag. Thanks so much to Glenn Naughton of JetNation.com for joining me. Make sure to check out everything Glenn's doing at Jet Nation. And follow him on Twitter at JNRadio underscore Glenn. Check out everything we're doing at PlayLikeAJet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Some awesome all 22 breakdowns on our channel. So make sure you watch our videos and subscribe if you haven't already. YouTube.com slash PlayLikeAJet. Visit our store, TeePublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quinn Williams, Bless You Thank You shirt and Play Like a Jet logo shirt. Caps, mugs, hoodies, it's all there. TeePublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes. If you haven't done that already, easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.